I learned early to bypass my father. As a nine-year-old, I remember my father as a gentle but distant presence in my life. I remember sitting at the dining table. He sat at the head of the table and I at the foot, six feet away. And he never spoke to me and I never spoke to him. But I somehow knew he was the boss. Although nothing was ever said. Nobody questioned him. Nobody criticized him. Nobody tried to negotiate with him or get him to change his mind. His stature just hung over us like cotton candy. He was the pillar we couldn't go past. If we wanted anything, we bypassed him and went to my mother for our little needs. I remember once he scolded me for having dirty nails. I was wearing a green frock with flowers. I avoided him after that while secretly longing to be near him. It's decades later now and we still bypass the men. We know little about men's inner lives. I have worked a lifetime on poverty issues, on gender equality and dignity for all. I've listened to thousands of poor people and hundreds of policymakers and I realize that we still bypass the men. No country or international organization has a gender strategy that engages equally with men and boys despite the rhetoric. And a strategy that leaves out half the population cannot be effective. We empower women by working around men. We seem to have given up on men or feel that men don't want to change or cannot change or maybe we're afraid of men. I found that there's anger, pain, disappointment and sometimes despair among women and men of all genders. What is clear is that we cannot flourish together without engaging with men, without understanding what it means to be a boy or man today. So I decided to find out. The thing which I love to be a boy is that I am strong. I can beat any kind of problems and all uh, without any help and that all. Do you think that both boys and girls are equal? Yes, absolutely. Both are equal. In 2020, everyone is equal. Welcome to What's a Man? Masculinity in India podcast, for which we've spoken to over 200 middle class and upper class men and boys to explore what it means to be a man today. I'm Deepa Narayan, social science researcher, author of 17 books, former senior advisor at the World Bank, a cultural detective. I'm always curious about why people behave the way they do. I'm trained to listen, and I listen really well, at least when I'm doing research. And I found that men speak openly to me, often with relief, just like women did seven years ago, for my book Chup and TED Talk. Join me in this journey to explore what it means to be a man today. The truths, the myths, the lies. This episode is in three parts. 
We start by listening to the most common responses from the 200 million upper class boys and men that my team and I interviewed, mostly in Delhi and Mumbai, but other cities as well. I then explore issues in depth with two special guests, Amish Tripathi, India's superstar mythologist, and Sushant Tivikar, a gay man, an actor, singer, and drag queen. We asked boys and men many questions. We started with simple questions. We asked boys aged 7 to 14, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you think of a man? Listen to what they said. Strong. Strong? Why strong? Um just comes in my mind. Who is a man that you think is very strong? My dad. What makes him strong? His courage. Strong. fast and intelligent usually men are tall when i see them i feel like they are monsters first words that come to my mind for a man uh, responsibility mostly dominance assertion and aggression any word that comes to your mind oh my dad short hair ladkon ke chote baal hote hain muscular tall beard facial hairs We asked men, mostly in the 20s, 30s, 40s, what are the first three words that come to your mind when you think of yourself as a man? Listen to what they said. Uh, a husband and a father, masculine. Masculine. Maybe muscular. Muscle. Like a strong build. Like strong or breadwinner or something of that sort, you know? Broader shoulders. Dominant. Egoistic. I guess. Short-tempered. Mustache. Okay, Harry, I'm going to go with that, yeah, because it's true. <laughs> Educated middle class boys and men use a very narrow set of words to describe themselves. Then we asked boys, what do you like about being a boy? Safety, freedom, choice. Like overall, I have more choices, especially in Indian society. Freedom, we get a lot of that. Being growing up as a man, like I said, I would have a privilege. The freedom that I have got with it. I would not yeah. have that many restrictions to go out at night. Yeah. As a girl would have. I don't have to worry about myself. I'm very secure. I would say privilege, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, testosterone. Always a good thing. I get to be taller than the people around me. That makes me feel like I'm worth more, which is a bad thing. It's a terrible thing to feel. Despite being aware of their greater freedom and privilege, everyone, even seven-year-old boys, believes in gender equality. Yes, they both are equally important. Everyone is equal. Boys and girls, both are equal. Despite strong beliefs in equality, no boy or man we spoke to would prefer being a girl or thinks it's easier to be a girl. Okay, what do you think? Is it better to be a boy or a girl? A boy. Because you get stronger faster. If if I was given a choice mm-hmm. whether to be a woman or a man, I would definitely pick being a male because you have a lot lesser shit to deal with physically and um, from society. In fact, both boys and men are aware of their privilege. As bad as it sounds, and as as much as I hate myself for saying something like this, it's the extra freedom that you have in a country like India. 
um, it's the I would say privilege, and when I say it, it makes me feel bad about it. Among the highly educated, what I find striking is that despite their beliefs in gender equality, men have deep associations about how a man should behave and how a woman should behave, and there's no overlap. These compartments go deep into the psyche and lay the foundations for implicit and explicit bias. This hit me really hard when we asked boys and men, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you think of a woman? Oh, first word that look, I'd say nurturing. You know, is the first word and image that comes to my head. Yeah, I would say children, um, emotions, and glowing skin. Um, I'm not saying that these are the first words that come to me, but it's just that what I've heard and what society has ingrained into me that these words are first coming into my mind. Uh, you haven't shared the words uh, yet. I suppose the words you could say are mostly soft and fragile and delicate. I mean, I know women are not really like that, but um, basically, that these are the first words that come because society has drilled it into my mind. Uh, what about beautiful? You also said beautiful. Why beautiful? Yeah, girls do makeup. Yeah, girls do makeup. So makeup makes them beautiful. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. As you will notice, there's no overlap between the words used to describe men with those used to describe women. Boys are being trained to make sure they don't act like girls. My friends always say to me that Tum to ek boy and they just everyone starts to bully that you are a girl. There's always this thing where like snooty and you know rude to some extent and if you're sweet and things like that somehow it makes you feminine. And the next step of course is to discount and laugh at what's female and therefore not desirable. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you think of a girl? Cranky. Cranky meaning like the thing that oh my I want my hair do oh I want my skin do oh I want my pedicure oh I want my hair I want uh, my dress oh I want my nails done oh I want nail polish constantly under pressure to prove their manliness to other men and distance themselves from all women like behaviors men walk a razor edge of expectations and it takes a toll a 13 year old expresses the pressures he feels to hide I am a good actor and I feel my whole life is just a drama on a stage that is unfolding. But I can't be myself. In a lot of situations, it's just an act because I pretend that I'm like this or I pretend I'm like that. But in reality, I'm not like that. But I have to pretend to be like this because this is what people expect. How does that make you feel? Wrong. It makes me feel wrong inside of me because this is not how I want to be, but then I want to be accepted by society also. So I have to pretend that a lot of times. We live in an age of turmoil. There's little conversation about men among men with empathy and compassion. In isolated silence, doubts, loneliness, anger, resentments multiply. 
only men are blamed for everything women can easily be a victim people trust women very easily comparatively like to to uh, with men it is always in that isi ladke ne shaitani ki hogi ye ladki atle wo nahi kar sakti like this and all like fear of interacting with people of a different gender i have to be extra cautious which is not necessarily a bad thing but i often have this doubt about doing the right thing there's a, there's a genuine risk out there that you know you are a chauvinist by default unless proven otherwise anger and blame ends up targeted at other men women and children anyone considered weak and different from the tight norms of tough manhood We can't just wait and hope that the next generation will change because even among young children from woke families they too are trapped on the inside because they absorb other people's expectations because it's everywhere we breathe it in what it means to be a boy and we subtract out the residue for girls we're stuck in traditional gender-based traits Listen to the 6-year-old from a woke family as she quickly sorts words into boy words or girl words I'm going to read you a few words and you tell me whether these are boy words or girl words. Strong. Boy. Powerful. Girl. Beautiful. Girl. Aggressive. Boy. Loving. Girl. Cries easily. Girl. Kind. Girl. Tough. Boy. Strong. boy emotional girl talks a lot boy leader boy to be a boy is not to be a girl to be a man is not to be a woman if we want to free human beings we have to change and it's a collective job is it an indian to change Is it giving in to Western influences or is it reclaiming our past before British colonization? To understand where we come from, I turn to Amish Tripathi, the literary superstar who has sold over 5 million books, books on Indian mythology, books on Lord Shiva, Ram and forgotten heroes in India's past. He is the director of the Nehru Center in London. What's a man? Masculinity podcast in India. by deepa narayan hi amish welcome to our podcast amish let me start by asking you what does being a man mean to you i mean your work is about mythic heroes and archetypes in our rich indian mythology whom do you most identify with me <laughs> i am a hardcore shivadevan <laughs> All Shaivites will tell you we'd love to be like our God, but we know we are not. We try our best to follow his his role model, but yeah, but we know we try our best. He was just too good. In our minds, Amish, from our research, we're finding that there seems to be one dominant model of masculinity, which is masculinity that's tough, strong, aloof, unemotional. In ancient India, was there one model of manhood, or were there many archetypes? Look, there are uh, because there were various archetypes. There wasn't one base archetype. Right. There was the archetype of Lord Ram. There's the archetype of Lord Krishna. There's the archetype of Lord Shiva. There are so many archetypes. Right. Uh, you have to find the archetype that suits you. That suits your own swadharma, your own way of life. Uh, Lord Ram was about an ideal follower of laws, and 
you see the strengths and the challenges of that way of life by seeing Lord Ram's story. Lord Krishna had a different way of life. Lord Shiva uh, had a very different way of life. He was very, very masculine, but he was also the Ardhanarishwar. So, uh, you know, very intriguing mix of uh, masculinity and femininity. So, you have to find the model that, that works for you. Could you explain our male gods, our mythic heroes and archetypes? How do they relate to modern everyday man? Let's start with Lord Rama. So, Lord Ram is essentially the archetype of the ideal follower of laws. Gautam Buddha is an ideal follower of laws. Mahatma Gandhi was an ideal follower of laws. Normally, a person who's an ideal follower of law is a very good leader. But such a person has a lot of challenges in his personal life, in his family life. Uh, where ideally you should not have the rule of law, you should have the rule of love. Right? We see that all around us. What about Lord Krishna as an archetype? My mind, he is an archetype of someone who leads with wisdom and experiences all the rasas of life. Love is one of the rasas of life. There are various rasas of life. Rasas what? Essentially that you are in this world to experience the, the joys of this world. So therefore you experience the joys of this world, but with responsibility. So therefore you will play the leela, you will play the game, but you will be conscious about how the other person is, whether the other person enjoys the game as well or not. And that was true of Lord Krishna. Music, dance, love, food, all the rasas of life, but with a sense of balance. So therefore Lord Krishna is much more comfortable with nuance. Uh, much more comfortable with the ends justifying uh, the means, right? Mm, Yes, that seems to add up. What about Lord Shiva? You know, if you have to think about it, what it truly exemplifies is actually contradictions. Because in some ways, he is the Bairagi, the detached yogi, who's cut off from the world. But at the same time, he's a very good husband. He's a very good father. He's a devoted husband, completely loyal to his wife. He's besotted by her. He's a good father, will be holding his children on his lap. Now, these are contradictory. It's obvious, Amish, there's not one archetype or definition of manhood in ancient Indian mythology. You also write that ancient India was liberal and freedom-loving. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, You know, essentially, what is freedom? Freedom is when you as an individual uh, have the right to make up your own damn mind on what you think is appropriate for you. There isn't a concept that God or the goddess will come down and tell you what you need to do. And that if you don't listen to that God, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. That concept doesn't exist. There was no concept of blasphemy in ancient India. No one was beyond question, not even the gods or goddesses. You will make decisions on your through your karma and then live with the consequences, positive or negative. So therefore, the only one controlling your life is you. You can't blame God. You can't blame anyone else. So you can't blame the past uh, or you Indian can't blame values. The past, you can't blame yeah. your parents. You can't blame your leaders. You can't blame your country. You can't blame the gods. You can't blame anyone else. The only one responsible for your life is you. Yeah. And I think that is the beauty that comes in the Indian way. And you can have multiple truths. You can have multiple archetypes as long as you are given the freedom to make the choice that works for you. So in a sense, it's even, it's great responsibility and it's great freedom. It's the ultimate freedom to decide what you want and what's right in what context, right? You you have got it spot on. Mm. The dharmic way treats you like an adult. 
Right. Not like a child. We've spoken primarily about men, Amish. So I want to focus now briefly on women. Was there gender equality in ancient India? Were women considered equal to men? I think one of the key things you have to understand in the ancient Indian way that there was a difference between equality and the two genders being mirror images of each other. So, for example, was it ever said that women cannot, for example, and like in today, when the idiots who say women cannot read the scriptures at certain times or nonsense like that. Well, I mean, many thousand years ago, women used to write the scriptures. The Rig Veda has many hymns written by Rishikas. A woman was the judge for a debate that Adi Shankaracharya ji participated in. I'm talking about 1300 years ago. The judge is normally considered to be superior to the two people competing because he or she has to have the ability to sit between these two arguments and decide who's the winner. The approach of them towards power would be different. So the differences is not in whether they are equal or not. That was very clear in ancient India. They were equal. Uh, And again, the thing I am wary of, of the Western debate on this as compared to the Indian debate, is that even the Western liberal approach often tends to come into that one truth paradigm, that this is the paradigm. And if you're not following this paradigm, then you're not, uh, you know, then you're somehow not, not being what you should be. I want to move now from men and women across the gender spectrum. And you've stated many times that ancient India was not homophobic. And you've talked about the ideas of masculine qualities and feminine qualities. But it's interesting that today people think that this typology is Western. What do you think? The thing is that in the modern Western debate, masculine and feminine have become very loaded words and very closely associated with men and women. Yeah. Uh, In ancient India, masculine and feminine did not necessarily mean men and women. Uh, Lord Krishna had many uh, feminine qualities. Lord Shiva as a yogi had very masculine qualities. Lord Shiva and his Ardhana Arishwar had many feminine qualities. The archetype does not come from male and female. It comes from qualities which which were prized in the Indian way. So when I say Suryavanshi, Chandravanshi and I equate it to masculine and feminine, it is not men and women. It is essentially... So that concept is is Indian. So because of the limitations of the English language, I'm using masculine and feminine. If it was in Sanskrit or Hindi, I would say Suryavanshi, Chandravanshi. Can you quickly describe those qualities, the Suryavanshi and the Chandravanshi? So the Suryavanshi way of life is essentially a life of compliance, a life of truth, justice, honor at its best. There is a code that is set up and you follow that at its best. It delivers truth, justice, honor, a fair society, an efficient society. At its worst, a Suryavanshi society can become very violent, very rigid, very uncaring of its weak, yeah, very yeah. judgment. That's a Suryavanshi society. Neither way is better or worse. They're just two different ways of life. A Chandravanshi society is essentially about freedom. And its best, it's about passion. It's about creativity. Uh, it's very caring of its weak. It's very innovative. At its worst, it can be irresponsible. It can be decadent. It can be debauched. In my opinion, Lord Ram was essentially about the Suryavanshi way of life. Lord Krishna was a Chandravanshi way of life. So both men and women have masculine and feminine qualities rather than what we think today. Amish, as we close, what's your message to men in India? You have millions of young men following you, reading your books. Do you have a message? 
I don't know if I'm big enough to give a message, but if I have to say one thing, you must have a code and you must be responsible. What does having a code mean? That there are things I will do, there are things I will not. It gives a structure and discipline to life. It makes you feel proud of yourself. Have a code and be responsible. In my personal life, I have had a lot of uh, difficulties in the last four, five years. A lot of tragedies. Ups and downs are a part of life, right? And this entire thing, you know, that uh, you have to be a man and you can't, you know, turn to anyone. That is, uh, that is unfortunate because no one can escape tough times in life. The only thing which will get you through those difficult moments in life is actually your family and your close friends. And one thing you have to understand, you know, likes on social media and all that, that's, you know, that's an illusion. Amish, that's wonderful advice. Value your freedom, keep your family and friends close and ask for help. It's so simple and yet so profound. Thank you so much, Amish, for your valuable time. It's just been wonderful having you on this episode. Thank you so much, Deepa. Amish Tripathi has been saying that a man has freedom to choose from many male archetypes. With colonization, global influences and Bollywood, we seem to have forgotten. And this fear of Lokya Kahenge, what will people say? This keeps men trapped and alone. Some men do break away from the narrow rules of strong, tough manhood. Can rules be broken and a person still thrive? Let's find out from our next guest. He's a man who actually lives his life on his own terms, as his own archetype, Sushant Devikar. Sushant is an Indian model, actor, performer, singer, psychologist, drag queen, who appears in many television shows and films, including the reality show Big Boss 8. He was crowned Mr. Gay India in 2014 and represented India at Mr. Gay World 2014. This morning when I was getting dressed up, I said, I must find my best red lipstick. <laughs> Sushant, I've been so looking forward to this interview. I've been watching a lot of your videos. I've read a lot about you. I really admire you. I always start my conversation, Sushant, by asking everyone, all my guests, what is the first image that comes to you when you think of a man? If you ask me, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Lord Shiva, you know, and, and also how beautifully then he kind of uh, embraces also the Shiv Shaktidar, the Nareshwar. So that's the image. But Lord Shiva's image is the first uh, image that comes to my mind when you ask me what image would you sort of uh, picture in your head when you say, a, you know, a man. I think uh, Lord Shiva was, that's the image. What a beautiful answer. Sorry, how old were you when you realized you were gay? Maybe I, I was probably about 13 okay. or 14. And growing up, were you taunted as being too girly or the pressure on you to be act more like a boy or more manly or the taunts that we often hear that, you know, Churi behaving yes, better? What kinds of things were you told? No, you know, I was a tough kid, so I would whack uh, people who, you know, <laughs> it's not the, the most ideal thing to say, but that's how I protected uh-huh. myself. Yeah. And I was a tough kid. You know, I was a sports person and I was a national level swimmer and uh-huh. I was uh, extremely athletic. And then I realized that, you know, I can't whack everybody that has an opinion about me <laughs> when I grew a little older. And then I started uh, realizing that that's their lack of knowledge. And of course, there were a lot of things said and, you know, uh, they were like, 
are you a boy are you a girl are you are you both for me it was it wasn't a big deal my orientation or my gender right. was wasn't a big deal for me right could you talk a little bit about when you finally told your parents their reaction and what they said I, you know i actually uh-huh. told my brother first uh-huh. and i hoped that he would keep a secret but he couldn't keep it in his stomach and he went and told my father and i told him that i plan to come out to mom and dad i had like all of that chronology sort of written down and said that i'll first go <laughs> speak to mom but that wasn't <laughs> what happened my dad was told by my brother you know my brother insinuated that i'm gay and uh-huh. he said that are you aware that sushant attends gay parties and gay events so my father just like looked over his shoulder and said so what is it to you you know you should mind your own business wow and very matter of fact you know my father asked me are you gay and uh, i said yes because i didn't want to lie i said yes i am he took a moment and exactly took about 40 seconds give me a big hug and he said that you're not my gay child or my straight child you're my child that was something that was so beautiful so and beautiful. i still get very emotional when i speak yeah. about it and then he told me he asked me do you want me to tell your mother or would you tell i said can i tell someone by myself <laughs> you know <laughs> you know i can can i have this moment can you all allow yeah. me that and then my mother you know she was watching her favorite uh, television uh, soap opera and uh, i said mom i want to tell you something that is very important to me and very life changing so she's like okay you know we'll discuss this in the in the commercial break don't trouble me now and i was like listen this is important i have to tell you this so she's like if it is about you being gay i know oh my god and i'm like listen what is happening like I, what and she's like i'm your mother i know everything so i was like okay then it was so beautiful like when i i narrated you know it's funny and stuff yeah. but for me as a kid who was like 18 and for me i was very scared what made them so special i was very when i watched some of your videos How to kind of embrace i find that very moving because when i look at your parents they look so ordinary like any other indian parent i couldn't predict that they would be so cool about your being gay and so warm and so loving and so accepting yes why do you think but you know i think they're different and i think that that's the beauty of it i think their simplicity is what makes them extraordinary yeah. you know yeah. i love my mom and then my dad also not someone who believes in toxic masculinity so in even in our household in our home we weren't taught like okay a girl can't do this or a boy shouldn't do that so uh, i think that that is what really really set a precedent already because they were mm-hmm. such fabulous parents that we just basically learned from them Sushant, as you've said, among upper-class elite society, parents often make a show of their progressiveness. But when it comes to their own children, they have difficulty or won't accept their own kids. Given this context, what was the hardest thing for you, being gay, especially before you became so successful and such an icon? Um, because I was fighting the toxic patriarchy and the toxic uh, masculinity, that country has been conditioned to believe is a norm and i had to fight that because uh, you know 12 years back when i was on television hosting a show all of 18 and uh you know i was like thrown into this world and in the public domain at a very young age and not to say that i didn't choose that life i chose it but uh i didn't know what came with it the love and the hate and the trolling and all of that 
and all the side commentaries that used to happen and stuff i was a little taken aback i was like oh my god how can people be so cruel you know it was a muscle i had to build i wasn't always this sassy and i wasn't always this confident about myself <laughs> your sassiness is what's so appealing and the fact that i lived through a decade that was not as progressive as we are right now in our country yes. and also because legally speaking now we're not criminals anymore yes but you know 12 years back the, the times were different and you know people didn't have enough knowledge they didn't have podcasts like this to yeah. listen to they did not have content to refer to in order to understand that there is you know honestly just one race and that's humanity yeah. and uh, it it doesn't matter whether you're straight gay black white pink orange you know it it doesn't matter So you're truly a boundary buster. You've busted so many boundaries, and you love makeup. Yes, I absolutely love makeup, and that's my choice. And a lot of people are like, "Oh, but you're gay," so you know. But I'm like, I'm also gender fluid. You know, yeah. I I like men, but I also am gender fluid. So don't tell me how to be me. I know right. the best how to be me. What you're saying is so beautiful. From my research I'm finding that even today men are trained to be afraid to be like a woman or to be mistaken for a woman. Does this make straight men afraid of gay men? Well, I I won't say all of them. The heterosexual men that are confident and comfortable with their own orientation and sexuality will never have a problem with any uh, other alternative sexualities or orientation right so i think right. that it's extremely important that a man or a woman or a trans person is uh, comfortable in oneself and one's own identity mm-hmm. uh, because then there is no you know it's not like it's a threat to like if i'm gay or if i'm uh, transgender and gay or whatever combinations of gender and orientation yeah. it shouldn't make a difference to you for example as a cisgender heterosexual woman because uh you're comfortable in yourself so i'm not posing as a threat to anyone but the ones that are homophobic and are scared it's an irrational fear phobia is an irrational fear so it's right. not something to be proud of when you say you're homophobic it's actually silly to be homophobic and yet what we see in a lot of movies and a lot of comedy shows it's interesting that when men dress up like women it tickles us Yep, right. Why is that? Is it because it's transgressive or why? It's it's a lot of things. Uh yeah. what it isn't is funny. It's a lot of uh, words. It's cringe. It's despicable sometimes. It's deplorable. It's actually quite uh, humiliating. You know, I had this mentor that told me that I judge a person by what he or she or they laugh at. Beautiful. So, uh, you know, if you are going to find something funny, then the problem is actually with you, not with the content. Of course, the content might be problematic, but also then you need to kind of introspect and find out whether you are also partaking in uh, that sort of negative conditioning or are you negatively conditioned and primed in a way where you believe that making fun of a community or making fun of an entire marginalized section of society is that funny and then if it is then uh, that's a problem so right. anybody else's then opinion is just uh, you know straight up in in the trash in the trash can 
where yes. it belongs. Yes, absolutely. You've broken so many boundaries. You love makeup and you wear it so beautifully. And now you've crossed another boundary, which is becoming the most fabulous Rani Kohinoor. How did that happen? And you're also being celebrated and called the first mainstream drag queen. Can you talk about that? And what does it mean to be a drag queen? And what do you love about it? I absolutely love the performance art form of drag. And to everybody's surprise, drag has actually been a part of the Indian culture from time immemorial. It's been around for years when men used to dress up as women and perform for the kings and the queens and even our gods and goddesses. You know, there has been so much, there's so many references in our mythology and in our history and ancient Indian history. And even till date, folk dances and, you know, classical dances in India, the men dance as women and perform as women in the entire getup. You know, the very elaborate makeup and the costume. I really thank my stars that I got the opportunity and Rani Kohinoor and the name says it all. Rani means queen and Kohinoor is the most exquisite diamond in the world. So, you know, that's where I got my name from. And uh, I always say this, that the Britishers might have taken one Kohinoor away from India, but I'm still here. I've heard you sing. I'm a big fan. My God, what Thank a voice. You. Does Rani Kohinoor make men uncomfortable? Do they come up to you and they talk to you? You know, do they wish they could be as free as you? Are they afraid of you? What do you get from men? I get a mix of everything. Everything. And I love it. I live for it. <laughs> I live for the concoction of emotions and, you know, opinions. And I'm like, love it. Just give it all to me. Everyone's, uh, you know, allowed to have an opinion. But I love the fact that some people get inspired. Some people get uncomfortable. Some people have an opinion. And that's fine by me, you know, because I'm true to myself and my art. I must say that Rani is way more attractive than Sushant. She's much more dramatic. <laughs> she yeah. is. And she calls a spade a spade. Yes. And uh, I love that about, you know, the fact that, you know, through drag, you can be so free. And it's so exhilarating, the experience of just facing an audience. And a drag in India is a political statement because of the toxic masculinity that I was telling you about earlier. Yeah. I think that when you are gender assigned at birth is male and then you challenge gender stereotypes and say that but a man can wear heels and makeup and and a wig and sing in two voices and in four octave range and uh, I'm I'm just glad that I can do all of that (laughs) you're very talented speaking to you and seeing you and being with you is so refreshing and it gives me hope for our future what is your hope for the future in terms of masculinity and men in India I am the change you are the change absolutely (laughs) well put (laughs) I think we need more representation of queer people in the mainstream and uh, which will then obviously act as reference points and uh, pop culture references and also uh, you know challenge the toxicity and the patriarchy that we have believed is so important so uh, a change is bound to come and it will happen you know mindsets will change and uh, Mm -hmm. society as i said will 
obviously go through a, a complete 360 degree and i think that we need to stop labeling and judging people and saying ye aurat aisi hai ya you know this is a job that only women can do or men should not do this women can't do this i think we we need to put all of that behind and uh, this year is the best year to leave it all behind i believe <laughs> bravo well said should we do a quick rapid fire round i love it hey darling we're here it is <laughs> who is more important sushant or rani kohinoor sushant three words to describe yourself unapologetic unadulterated fabulous what do you love the most about yourself i think the fact that um i have been lucky enough to be born to the parents that i've been born to that's the best part of my life that's a highlight that it really yes. our parents make us break us please give your parents my love and admiration the red yeah. lipstick or pink red how old were you when you had your first kiss <gasps> oh my god 14 did you tell your parents no oh my god no <laughs> no my god one thing you love about men one thing i love about men is that they can be extremely compassionate and passionate you know uh it's just that you need to tickle that little bone it's But, there yeah, it's very there and and yeah. once you realize that it's there they're the most beautiful you know but yeah. it's it's that hard sort of layer that inside of which you know there's that hard cortex that sort of protects this softy and right. i think that men have that layer that they have that facade and that charade that you need to kind of break and then they are amazing i keep yeah. telling all my uh, the men that i am uh, involved with or uh, are involved with me uh, i keep <laughs> telling them that stop putting on this damn facade are you crazy i i can look through you and then you know my god and then you know so first is compassionate and then there's passionate a lot of things lovely answer what is the message you want to give to all the men out there i would just like to say to all the men that men you know there are various types of men y'all could be straight y'all could be gay y'all could have a beard y'all might be bald y'all might have you know so many different characteristics to yourself but all of y'all are beautiful so accept that and see that in the next person because as different you are from the next man next to you you know that is the the essence of the fact that we are so unique from each other but yet so beautiful in our own way and uh, i'd just like to tell men that toxic masculinity is a thing of the past stay with the times keep up with the times and respect all genders respect all orientations and uh, i love men personally <laughs> so don't let me down you buggers thank you sushya and that was so beautiful thank you, thank you so thank much you. Thank you thank you it's been thank a pleasure you. talking to you thank you so much It should be easy in India to widen the idea of masculinity we already have cultural permission and as amishtra party explains we belong to a culture rich in multiple godlike archetypes for both men and women a path that distributes feminine and masculine qualities traits equally to men and women a path that considers gender equality as a given and not an import from the west india has changed but our training system for male dominance continues in fact the supervaluation of men and devaluation of women has resulted in 37 million excess men in india i also learned that many men the privileged ones cling to narrow definitions of masculinity with anxiety confusion and some resentment 
they feel alone. It's as if men are collectively holding their breath. Do join us in breaking open this conversation about what it means to be a man within your family, schools, colleges, workplaces and play spaces. Listen deeply if you can without judgment. Ask yourselves this question. What are the first three words that come to your mind when you think of a man? What are the three words that come to your mind when you think of a woman? What are the first three words that come to your mind when you think of yourself in your own self-identified gender? In our next episode next week, we talk to an ex-army general, to an author of the New York Times best-selling book and head of an NGO, and we talk about life in the pressure cooker of power. What does power really mean? Do you feel powerful? This is Deepa Narayan. Join me next week. Till then, start a slow conversation. Together we can change. Do subscribe to our channel on Hubhopper, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts or wherever you are currently listening. Our website is whatsaman.com. You can reach Dr. Deepa Narayan at DeepaVOP on Twitter and Instagram. This podcast is generously supported by a grant from the American Center New Delhi. The opinions, findings and conclusions stated are those of What's a Man, Masculinity in India and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. Our partners are Hubhopper, the Gender Lab, who work with adolescent boys and girls on gender awareness, Chup Circles, Safe Spaces for Conversation and Youth Ki Awaaz, the largest online platform for youth voices. What's a man? Oh man, hey man, good man, bad man, Superman, be a man. What's a man? What's a man? What's a man? What's a man? Strong man, weak man, nelly man, nelly man, big man, be a man. What's a man? What's a man? What's a man? What's a man?